0: I'm I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room. Welcome back. We're going to talk about J.C. Cooper. She is the transgender powerlifter from Minnesota, who this week is getting ready to start a mediation process with the organization, the Federation USA Powerlifting and she has agreed to be our guest in an exclusive interview right here on the Outsports platform. I'm excited. You've spoken to her before for a story, isn't that right, Carly?
1: Yes, a couple months ago, I had a chance to interview her with a story for Outsports. And I can tell you, she's getting a lot of support. There's going to be a, I have a feeling that even mainstream sporting outlets are going to be looking at this process just a little bit because of the amount of support she's been getting. From not only from within her sport, which has been great to see competitor, you know, the the lift, the the timing out lift protest of recent months. Uh, She's getting a lot of support within her sport, but also outside the sport. For example, Megan Rapinoe is signed on to this one. I mean, some of the biggest names in women's sport have started lining up behind JC. So it's going to be great to talk to her a little bit later on.
0: I'm excited about her and I'm also excited about the news that's happening this week. Let's get to the news. Carly, what's happening? Well, first off in sporting
1: news, another step forward for trans athletes at the collegiate level. June Eastwood, cross country athlete at the University of Montana, became the first it was the first transgender athlete To compete in cross country at the NCAA Division I level for Big Sky Conference member, University of Montana. Well, just this past week, June Eastwood went to the Santa Clara Bronco Invitational in California and finished second in the women's race, a a strong 2018 in the 6K cross country run. It helped Montana place in the top 10 in the team standings at the Invitational, and it got her named Big Sky Conference cross-country female athlete of the week, another first. And as expected, the clickbaiters have been out in force. Again, yawn,
0: Uh, but a great step up. You know what's interesting? The The most interesting thing about that story is Juniper placed second. She didn't win everything. And we've said this again and again and again. Trans athletes don't win everything. She did great, and we're very proud of her. But she wasn't first.
1: <laughs> but you understand the psychology of the clickbaiters. They the haters and the clickbaiters are gonna say if she if she wins, they'll say she robbed second place. If she finished second, she robbed third place. If she finished fifty fifth, they'll say she robbed fifty sixth. It is <laughs> it, I mean, Don, you know how this goes.
0: It goes the I same do. Way every time.
1: I mean and, it, yep, it, and
0: life site news and a whole bunch of other Christian and And no offense to Christians, I mean, there are a lot of LGBT Christians, but the far right and the conservative uh, folks are just jumping all over her. And you know what the other story they're jumping all over is this story I wrote in Texas about a little trans girl, seven years old, who declared at age three, I'm a girl, and because her parents are divorced, the father and the mother have been fighting in court over custody. A jury voted 11 to 1 in down in Texas that the mom should have custody of these two kids, this girl and her twin brother, and that the mom should be able to do what she feels is right as far as these kids' medical care. And you know what happened? All the politicians came out of the woodwork saying that transgender children are abused and the mother is a maniac and there should be child abuse investigations and the judge overturned the jury's verdict. And now, now this poor mom Is under attack. And it's not a sports story, but I will tell you that it has repercussions throughout the transgender athlete community too, because, you know, there are a lot of teenagers who are closeted. And when Halloween came around yesterday, I can't speak for everybody, but I remember myself, Halloween was the opportunity for me to just, you know, go outside and be a girl and see what people thought. And I just think that there's a whole bunch of other transgender uh, people in the closet who are looking at stories like these and wonder, oh, am I going to get ridiculed? Am I going to be, you know, dragged through the press? It's horrible.
1: It is horrible. And it's fitting that we're talking about this at this time. We're at the start of November.
0: And yep.
1: this is the, this is the this month is... of the Transgender Day yeah. of Remembrance. Remembrance, yes. This is trans this is transgender awareness week is coming up, trans day of remembrance coming just around the corner. And first off, I really like the the headline of the story you did for Forbes. Because this <laughs> is what this is. Texas is afraid of a seven-year-old transgender girl. That's what this is. And I agree with another great tra- trans Texan, Monica Roberts, who talks about those evangelicals. Quick call into oh God
0: bless Monica. Quit,
1: we love Monica. Calling. Monica, we love. We need to get Monica on the show to talk about some football at some point. But oh, let's do that. But let's those get evil, her on the like, yeah. But oh, absolutely. But these evil jellicals writing all this clickbait article. This is a li- this is a little girl. First off, Ted Cruz. It's none of your business. This is between that family, their medical professionals, their mental health professionals, if they have them. That is between that unit. That's none of your business. It's not my business. It's not Don's business. It's not anybody but that family's
0: business. But especially- Well, what kills me is that the, 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 the right is saying that, oh, this is part of a liberal agenda. We didn't even get involved in this until the Republicans and conservatives started making part of their agenda to, to, to force this little girl to dress up as a boy. Oh my God
1: this um, i mean and uh, they could care less about and that's the real sad thing about a lot of these people it, be it this little girl be it the father of this child in texas or be it the mother of a of a high school athlete in connecticut this is the same deal and i'm well, talking and i'm addressing both of them right now you have to understand that the people with this agenda are going to are going to use you milk you dry crush you up like a beer can and throw you over the shoulder once, once the fear dies down and once they get their objective.
0: That is the point, basically. I just read that um, Andre Yearwood and Terry Miller are going to be honored by Athlete Ally uh, with an award next week in New York City. You know, no matter what they do, you can't keep people down. You can't
1: keep good people down. That just shows it. But I'm looking at this story in Texas, and I'm at my heart cries. My heart cries for this child. I mean, and... And I have a lot of anger at all these people that have no conceptualization. They talk about this quote unquote, "liberal agenda, Don." and a, and these people don't realize how conservative that medical professional professionals actually are about kids transitioning. They are, they are very conservative. And I know that I mean, by talking to professionals who deal with this, And also dealing with, and also working with professionals who deal directly with this. I can tell you from firsthand experience, they're very conservative about adults moving forward. They are doubly careful with kids. They are working with parents step to step to step. They're not missing a trick here. And that's something people don't, people need to get a lot of education. And I think that's one thing that we on our side of the aisle don't communicate well enough. And the practitioners who are our allies don't communicate enough that, no, we're, no, this is the real of what this process is. Because I think if a lot of people understood the way this works, you'd have a lot less ignorance going on to the public airwaves.
0: Also, I think people don't want to hear. I think people want to believe what they believe. They want to believe in chemical castration. They want to believe that we are you know, transing kids, is what I've heard. It's not a verb, it's a noun. You know who's, you know who's received a lot of hate is J.C. Cooper, What do you say we get the coordinates set and we beam up J.C. and her attorney from Gender Justice into the Transporter Room. To the beam up and
1: joining us now, J.C. Cooper. J.C., welcome to the Transporter Room.
2: And joining Jess is the Legal Director of Gender Justice, Jess Braverman. Welcome to the Transporter Room, ladies. Thank you. It's good to be here. Hey. JC, what a year you've had. And, you know,
3: it started out with you winning. Uh, So it was the USPA um, state championship. It was the end of January, right? Yep, that's correct. And what happened four days later? Well, four days later, um, USA Powerlifting released their um, policy on uh, transgender participation in powerlifting. Um, and yeah, it pretty much, uh, bans me from being able to participate, um, in USAPL. First thought when you heard they're banning me, what
1: was your, what was the first thing that went through your mind when, when they hit you that they're going to ban me after I just won this thing?
3: Um, well, I guess first, first, uh, there is, so there's two different, there's two different federations. There's the U.S. Powerlifting Association, and then there's uh, USA Powerlifting. So it's really confusing, I know, but uh, I I ended up competing in U.S. Powerlifting Association. Um, so that's different than USA Powerlifting. And the reason that I competed with the uh, U.S. Powerlifting Association um, is because uh, USA Powerlifting had already decided that I was not eligible to compete. Um, in uh, their federation. So, and this was before um, the January 30th uh, uh, release of their uh, new policy on trans participation. So I had already known that I I personally wasn't eligible. The four days after winning states, when I found out that they were going to let anyone that was on HRT um, be eligible to compete, um, I mean, that was, it was very shocking.
2: And it boggles my mind that you were a member in good standing with USA Powerlifting, and you did exactly what you're supposed to do. You went for a therapeutic use exemption asking them to acknowledge that you take spironolactone, which is a testosterone-lowering drug, as part of your routine health care. You let them know about this,
3: and then that's when you were denied? Correct. Yeah. So I sent in my I sent in my TUE application, um, and the response was that my application was denied, secondary to uh, to precedence. Um, so I don't know if they've denied other trans people in the past, um, and because they believe that uh, trans women are conferred some sort of advantage in um, in powerlifting. So that's what I was told. Of
1: course, they realized this goes against USADA policy, definitely goes against USOC policy, this goes against the policy of just about every every sporting governing body in the world does it like this. And they just and they went against you at that at that point what was your what was your next course
3: of action from that point? I mean honestly, I was just trying to figure out where this information was coming from um, i like it made it didn't make any sense to me either. Um, I asked um if there was a policy in place if there was uh could they show me um all these different all these different questions um and was told that the executive committee was looking into it um and this back and forth happened for a little bit and um the conclusion of it was that the executive committee using information from the IPF medical committee which um the USA Powerlifting president Larry Mail is on the uh, is the head of the uh, executive committee and is on the medical committee um using the information from that committee they decided that uh that I wasn't eligible like that was just um so I, I mean, I was astounded because I couldn't see any policies. The only policy that I saw anywhere in any bylaws, any constitution, um, was the IOC consensus policy that uh, affects trans uh, trans athletes, um, and that was adopted into the International Powerlifting Federation, or the IPF. Um, that was adopted into their constitution. So that was the only rules specifically addressing trans participation in the sport let's go back to
2: january so you're a powerlifter. you're a transgender woman are you an activist are you looking to like be the you know the uh, uh the, the trailblazer to you know start a revolution
3: or are you just trying to participate and compete like every other woman listen i I'm forced into this activist role. It isn't something that I necessarily like want to be in uh the same as uh the same as every other restriction that I've faced as a trans person um every time something like this has gone along, like yes, I want to use my voice because I'm affected daily by this exclusion right so it's not a matter of whether you know i I identify as an activist and I'm like trying to like take over or anything like that. I really am just trying to participate and make sure that others are treated respectfully as well. I want both of you to answer this. Jess, I want to bring you in this as
1: well. JC, what does it mean for you as an athlete to see competitors and peers stepping in, to see them time out those lifts as they, as they did another competition? And Jess, what does it mean for you to see this type of support from day one right behind JC, just as you were really, I mean, because you you just came into gender justice made this year. And That's correct. this immediately comes to your doorstep. What it mean for you right out of the gate to see that this isn't just one lone person, an entire sport and a lot of competitors are behind them.
4: Um, so this is, this is just, I, I was so excited when I first started that this case came to us. I, I love women's sports. Um, I grew up playing sports, tennis, basketball. I recently did a half Ironman. I go to WNBA games. So I, as a big as a as a participant in women's sports and a fan of women's sports, I love trans inclusion. I believe trans athletes should absolutely be allowed to participate in women's sports. And so, this case was important to me both for for the legal implications, um, but also just as as an individual, as a person who who is into sports, who is into exercise, who thinks sports is really important. Um, this case is just very meaningful to me as as a person as well. So I was so excited uh when this case came to us and I'm so glad that there's support from all kinds of areas. I've spoken to people in New York who support JC's cause. I it's not just here in Minnesota. So I, I'm just I'm very I'm glad to be part of it.
2: And JC, will you answer Carly's
3: question before I ask my next one? <laughs>
4: sure. Um yeah, it was it was so
3: important to me to know that there were um uh peers and fellow athletes that were um supporting this cause right um especially being in uh, minnesota and minneapolis where we have a very thriving um trans community that also wants to be active and wants to be involved um in sport um so yeah it was um i don't want to say i don't want to say exciting it was just important for me to see that um and you know at the minnesota state championship when um when the athletes were timing out, um, it was kind of, a um, it was like a somber celebratory mood. I know those things are very like, um, you know, opposite, but, um, it was just so sad that, um, all these people were coming together in a place to be able to compete and celebrate the work that they, and effort that they've put into their sport. Um, and there were people in the crowd that actively, cannot participate at all because of the move um, that USAPL has, has gone through. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was definitely interesting, but um, important for me to see. Tell us what it's been like for you personally to see people
2: talk about you the way they do. I mean, they, they call you things, they say things about you and your, your body and about your identity. And I'm just curious if you could explain a little bit about how that what that personal toll must be like.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be relentless, especially when the, uh, when news cycles are coming around and they're covering what's going on. Um, you know, people, people are approaching me both online and in person. And, um, as much as, as much as I want to be able to tone it out completely. Yeah. Some of it seeps in and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely affects me. I mean, I'm only human, right? <laughs> um and you know, I just I just do my best to uh keep my head up and focus all of that negativity and that energy into my training. Um that way, you know, it comes out in a positive way, and that's kind of how I've been approaching uh competing in powerlifting ever since I started. Um it was a very therapeutic thing for me. Um, it was such an empowering thing for me. Um, so it's kind of, um, I'm glad that I was able to come to it because it's also made it, um, a little bit easier to deal with all of the hate and, um, violent rhetoric that I'm experiencing, um, on a daily basis.
2: JC, why don't you tell us why you got into powerlifting? What was your experience before? What, 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 what is it about powerlifting that attracts you?
3: So it's, it's kind of interesting. So I used to I used to play roller derby, um, and I broke my ankle. And so it was while I was doing um, physical therapy for my ankle um, that I started doing more powerlifting moves in physical therapy. Um, and it also brought me closer to my brother, who um, used to be an avid CrossFitter and competed in Olympic weightlifting as well so it was kind of a bonding thing for us uh to be able to talk about lifting weights and um like we had done our entire lives. my brother and I have been lifting for others our respective sports throughout our entire lives. so um it was a good way to bond as adults too um yeah no that's kind of how I how I came to it uh what sealed the deal though was uh when i went to pull for pride a women's strength coalition event and saw how much support there was for the lgbt community here locally in minneapolis doing a deadlift event so there was a powerlifting event um that raised uh raised money for a cha- uh, charity locally so that was that was what sealed the deal it made me want to compete in powerlifting
1: touching on your roller derby experience for a little bit because Roller Derby recently got under fire too. It seems that the clickbaiters and the haters and the transphobes took a shot at Roller Derby. For for you, how accepting was it on that track?
3: I mean, the WFTDA, the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, they're very explicit about uh, their acceptance and welcoming of transgender nonconforming and non-binary athletes. So... Uh, I, I did find it very interesting that they would be, they would be targeted uh, considering how much public and community support there is for trans athletes uh, in the sport. Um, for me, I mean, uh, for the most part, it was, it was, it was very welcoming. I mean, I had some interpersonal issues um, and experienced uh, some harassment from people that weren't rela- weren't actually playing. So not athletes, but, uh, roller derby as a whole is like is really a model um, as far as policy is concerned in including uh, trans people. Yes, I'd like to ask you a little bit about what gender justice
2: is doing. I mean, there's so many issues affecting gender, from equal pay to women's rights to reproductive rights to transgender inclusion. What's your advice to people listening and wondering how can they fight this? incredible, misogynistic machine that's out there that seems to just be
4: hell-bent on crushing us and crushing our dreams. I I think, and and this is, so this is nothing new. I think there's been an effort for a very long time to pit cis women and trans women against one another. Um, And there's no valid reason for that. I remember when I was back in college, there was the Michigan Women's Festival that only allowed cis women Um, And and the arguments against including trans women were very similar to the arguments we're including here. And that was 20 years ago. So this is nothing new. This has been going on for a long time. Uh, What I'd encourage people to do is to just take note of when it happens, because a lot of these arguments are couched in the language of what you might think of as feminism, as women's, you know, support women, support girls. Um, But what's really happening is, is very divisive and it's very hateful, but it can be very easy to, to miss and to get swept up in the rhetoric that they use. Um, so I would just encourage people to pay really close attention when um, anyone's speaking about trans-related policies in regards to sports and other areas of life, um, just to, to keep their ears open for this kind of divisive rhetoric that's couched in the language of feminism. Um, at Gender Justice, we, we are we fight for gender equity, Um, That means that we fight for, you know, equal pay, we fight against sexual harassment. We bring in all kinds of lawsuits. Um, We're not just focused on LGBT rights, though we do that, too. But for us, advocating for women includes advocating for trans women. It's one and the same. So we affirmatively fight back against that divisive rhetoric. And I would just encourage people to educate themselves about it and become aware of it. So they don't accidentally, a lot of people I think don't, don't even realize they've kind of fallen into that trap because it's, it's hidden so well. Um, So groups like fair play for, or is it fair play for women? Um, yes, and other fair groups play like that. Wolf, yep. And, and Wolf and, and, you know, all these organizations kind of couch this anti-trans rhetoric in the language of feminism and it's, you know, you can have a knee-jerk reaction of, of thinking, oh, yeah, that sounds right if you don't stop and think about it. But it, it actually is quite hateful and divisive. Um, and I would encourage people to just be aware of it and educate themselves and push back when they hear it happening.
2: They're very loud. But my experience has been that they're not very numerous. They, I think they're just a very loud bunch of people, but they don't really have a majority point of view. For the most part, the silent majority are people who really do support uh, women who support trans women, who support equal rights, equal pay, but it just seems to be a very loud component to the the haters out there.
4: Well, well, they're they're given they're often given a platform. Um, you can see them in in Washington D.C. fighting against you know equal rights because the equal rights includes trans women. So they're they're like fighting against their own self interest, but they're given a platform by hate groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom, um, and others. And it's it's. Just ridiculous who they're teaming up with and what they're willing to do just to fight against trans rights. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think I think there may be a fringe group. I think they're growing in the UK. I I would consider that a fringe group, but I think that yes, their their rhetoric is they're very loud. Their rhetoric is somewhat successful because they of the way they couch it, um, and they're given a platform by basically by hate groups. (laughs) But that's one thing to point out.
1: Not only are they getting a platform, they're getting financial backing from these groups. That's been one of the biggest things. I mean, they're, right now they, there's a lot of paper trail that's coming out that's showing that they're turning out for brunch with the Heritage Foundation. There's checks being passed and passed on. I mean, as a feminist, how much does that infuriate you? That not only are they just getting aid and comfort from people that have never fought for women's rights that have that have stood against literally everything for women's rights, they've stood against it from the jump.
4: It it just shows the level that they're willing to go with their with their anti-trans nonsense, that they're willing to, you know, become bedfellows with these ridiculous hate groups who who do terrible things when it comes to all women, cis women, trans women. Um it it's it's really frustrating and it's frustrating how effective the rhetoric is. Um, but I think once you really explain it to people and, and spell it out for people, they they do realize that it is ultimately hateful. And um, I, I agree with you. I, I think I don't believe that there's the majority view. Um, but it, you know, it, it's just it's just outrageous.
2: JC, I think a lot of our listeners would really like to know a little bit more about you. And for the most part, we've gotten to know you over the last eight to 10 months. But we don't really know your story. Would you tell us a little bit about your childhood, about your adulthood, about coming out—I'd love to hear that story.
3: Uh sure, yeah. So I was uh, born in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, grew up in the state. Ever since I was really, since I was really young, I played sports. You know, uh, my father put me into soccer. Uh, I wrestled in middle school, did track and field in middle school and high school. So I did throwing events, uh, shot put and discus and i was a competitive curler in my youth as well so from i think i was 13 or so uh, is when i started curling all the way up until i came out pretty much um, i was competing in curling and was a former junior national champion um went to junior world kind of a it's kind of a wild story that probably would take more than <laughs> more than the time that we have here but um sports always been a Sport has always been a part of my life. I didn't uh, I didn't start addressing my gender identity and really exploring gender identity um, until I was in college um, when I first started to try to come out, anyways. Um, and after failing to come out the first time, I went back into the closet and you know used sport really as a way to. Um, escape addressing some of the things that that were hard to manage, and really, I would use sport as a way to um, to kind of run away and hide from some of the pain and the um, some of the pain and you know confusion that I was really experiencing during that time in my life. Um, so it felt it felt safe, right? because I was adhering to many of the
4: stereotypes
3: that um that are pushed onto people in our in our society, so I was trying to be stereotypically manly and it it just built up because it just felt so fake to me um and it wasn't until I started exploring gender identity that. You know, my eyes were really opened, and I—it was almost like I was seeing color for the first time, um, and how uh, varied and um, beautiful the trans community really is. And I—I I mean, I just knew that it was—you know—that was who I was, and um, you know, took the time to really plan out how I was going, how I was going to come out, and. Um, and that was that. I took a step away from sports for a few years and uh, because I didn't feel like at that point in time um, that I was safe or um, that I would be well-received um, and took a few years off. And then when I started coming out, I joined roller derby and, you know, that's kind of the beginning of where my story begins. <laughs>
2: We have a lot in common. Yeah. I also had a stumble. I also tried coming out and had to go back in the closet, and it was six years ago. I'll tell you, that's a, that, that line you said, it's like seeing color for the first time. I'm, I'm, I'm crying here.
1: Isn't it, though? That's
2: so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Carly, you, yeah. you take over while I wipe my tears away.
1: Hey, I, hey, it's getting a little dusty where I am, too. So I'm right there with you because no, no, I, I can, I can especially relate because sports is my place to hide. And in many ways, sports has been, sports has been such a part of my own transition. It'd be like, I mean, if you took sport away from me, if, if someone came up to me and says, because of who I am, because I compete, I'd be setting fire to the place at that point. It would be like cutting off an arm. And that sound means we're going to take a break. When we come back, how J.C. Cooper got to hang out with Megan Rapino. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. J.C. Cooper is with us. J.C., when you're just out in the street, in the, tw- in the Twin Cities, in the area where there, is a, where there is a healthy, vibrant trans community, what's it like for you when people are coming up to you on one hand, just the average Average person on the street, trans person just happened to hear the story and they say, hey, hey, we support you. We're with you. What is that like for you to see when your community, when just your community, people aren't even in sports swinging up for you and saying, hey, keep lifting, keep pushing?
3: Honestly, it's really shocking. Um, I didn't, at first, I didn't really know uh, how far reaching my story was becoming Um, and so initially it was just like, oh my gosh, you even know who I am. (laughs) Like, um, (laughs) but yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's nice and it's encouraging. It's encouraging to, to see and hear from people who, who know that inclusion, who know that inclusion is the way, the way to move forward. And that exclusion isn't getting us anywhere. Um, we draw nothing from exclusion other than, uh, divisiveness and hate So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great reminder, um, that there are people behind me and there are people paying attention, um, and that want to see the right thing happen. Megan Rapinoe knows who you are. (laughs) Yeah, that happened.
1: (laughs) Quoting one article that was on that saying that you were power lifted, that all of a sudden here's the U.S. Women's National Team and they want to know about you. I'm pretty sure that at one level, you're like, what in the world is going on in my world here? I mean, what was that like to where some of the biggest names in women's sports at the moment are also saying, no, we're backing
3: this because this is important for all of us. It was fantastic. I mean, it was a very electric moment because she is such a, a kind and caring and charismatic person. Um, and much of the time that, uh, I was able to spend with her and Lori Lindsay, um, who is a former U.S. soccer player as well. Um, it was just a really, it was just such a kind, a kind moment where, you know, Lori and Megan were, were connecting after, you know, a long couple of months and, uh, they were just seeing each other for the first time in a little bit. And, so to be a part of that kind of like engagement and uh to be included in that uh conversation and to know that I'm that I'm supported and that uh and to be given that kind of like boost of hey, you know, you're doing the right thing, go get it, you know, it's uh it's something that I won't I won't forget. And I'm uh happy that, you know, Lori and I have become friends and uh we've been able to um talk pretty extensively about uh trans inclusion in sport i actually was just out in dc not too long ago for the uh trans march on dc and lori um came out and was there to support me while we were marching um yeah it's uh it's wild and the and the reason it all happened was because i was djing at a party. And Lori, Lori Lindsay, um, and friends happened to be there and invited me to the game the next day. So, um, wild, right? (laughs) (laughs) That is wild. That is
2: wild. Um, You also got to meet my friend, Maya Monet, at the Trans March. And you were part of a really amazing turnout. What was that like being part of so many trans women all basically demonstrating? You mentioned something that was really important, that... You weren't there for trans athletes. You were there primarily to support the most marginalized among us, the trans women of color who are murdered at an alarming rate
3: around the world. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's important to make that distinction. That march um, wasn't necessarily about me. It was about uh, standing up for what's right and standing up for the justice of, you know, black trans women being killed on a regular basis and uh, a society that's really not recognizing this as uh, a serious enough issue to address uh, on a regular basis and that's and yeah that's that's what it was all about and and it was about the supreme court uh cases that are being heard right now um that were heard on october 8th and uh, making sure that we have our rights as as people like and that's like that's the core thing we are people and. Nobody deserves to be murdered for who they are, and no one deserves to have their rights taken away because of who they are. That's absolutely absurd and uh, deserves to be fought against. Jess, I want to ask you about what
1: comes next. What's going to happen in this mediation process? Where does gender justice fall into it? What's coming?
4: So... So mediation is just part of the Minnesota Department of Human Rights charging process. Right now, the case is with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights, where there's a charge of discrimination. So we're pre-court lawsuit, and there's a few different steps in the process, and one of those is mediation. Um, It is optional, but we're going to attend a mediation with the department um, and just explain our position and talk to them about trans equity in sports. Um, I can't really predict how that conversation is going to go. US, USAPL will be there, too, um, but, but it is just part of the process. Assuming um, the case doesn't end there, then the next step is that there's an investigation by the department. They determine whether uh, whether there's what they call probable cause to believe, believe discrimination occurred. Either way, um, this case can then, even before that, at any point, this case can then be brought to the courts. Um, and it could be litigated in court as a discrimination claim. So it's too early right now to say exactly what trajectory this case will go. Um, Gender justice is representing JC both at the MDHR level and if this case goes to court. And we also have co-counsel Nichols Castor, a local law firm that's also representing JC along with us. They were very eager to take this case, um, and they're, they're excited to be part of this as well. Dr.
2: Mail of USEPL says you're um confusing things by saying it's a charge, and he also says it's not a ban. What's your response to those two statements?
4: Um he may just not be familiar with how the Minnesota charging process works, but um he might be confusing a charge of discrimination with a criminal charge. When you file a, a discrimination complaint, the, the form is basically called the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. It's it's a charge of discrimination. Um, that's just the name for it. So there is currently a charge, but he's not charged in the criminal sense. So maybe that's where the confusion lies. Um, and what was the second question? Well, he keeps saying that the transgender participation policy is not a ban. It, of course it's a ban. I mean, if, if trans women can't compete in the women category, I don't know what else to call it other than a Trans, you know, it's, it's a ban on transgender athletes competing. You know, if, if in order for trans women to compete, you have to, you know, not not take your medication and pretend you're not trans and compete in the men's category, then that, that's just plainly a ban on trans women competing.
2: Do you think this might become a landmark case, Jess?
4: You know, the interesting thing is a lot of people don't know this, but in Minnesota, I think it was in 2017, a trans athlete won a a discrimination case when she was not allowed to participate on a women's football league. Um, so we think the law in Minnesota is already pretty clear, um, but we we know that, um, you know, I, I don't know that the football league tried to bring in quite as much. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how hard they, they fought relative to USAPL stubbornness, um, whether this could be a landmark case or, or not. That, that I don't know, but it certainly is a big deal here in Minnesota.
1: JC, there could be some young, young trans person. They could be like 12, 13, 14 years old. And they're like, I want to play sports. I want to play. I want to get out there on the field, but I'm afraid of
3: being told no. What would you tell them? I mean, there's definitely the possibility that someone's going to say, that someone's going to say no, but it's better to better to try. Right. And, um, I would let them know that there is a very big community of people that are fighting for their right to play. And there are tons of people that will support them. It's just a matter of finding the support that's out there. Um, So, I mean, as far as, as far as what I would say is I want to encourage everyone who wants to play sports to be able to play sports because after all, sport is a human right. Um, and inclusion is a, a very important uh, important part about sports in general. Sports are such an influencing factor in our society. Um, and to exclude entire groups of people um, is basically saying that they don't deserve to be seen or heard in society in general. Um, so, of course, um, if there was a 13, 14-year-old um, trans athlete that wanted to, to compete, I'd say, go for it. Yeah, the possibility exists, but uh, we're here to support you. Perfect place to end it up.
1: JC and Jess both, thank you, not just for your time today, but thank you for keeping the fight and, and moving and helping move sport that much more forward as an athlete. Thank you. Your efforts are going to pay off. It's going to. Thanks for having us. Thank you all. You have a great day, and we
2: look forward to talking to you again when we have a victory to celebrate. Absolutely.
3: Sounds good. See you then. Thank you. Thank you, Bob.
0: Bye. Uh, take care. Of two to beam out. So before we go, have you seen the trailer? Are you going to go see the movie? It's debuting tonight. Terminator Dark Fate. Linda Hamilton is back. She's I, back. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: I plan on seeing this. Because based on what I saw on the trailer, it's I mean, it's a, it's interesting the way that they've really like, in a sense, by twisting the story, changing some canon, they actually brought back in many ways the feeling and the fun of the first Terminator film. Which is something I honestly felt kind of got lost in a lot of the sequels. And a lot of the figuring out of how they're going to do this story. One of the biggest things is James Cameron back in the fold doing this. And you can tell the difference when the originator gets involved and gets involved at a fundamental level.
0: I like the first one, but my favorite still remains the second one. And I think that uh, someone wrote that this was almost like a direct sequel to the second one. And I guess that means the other three or four other movies, which I I saw, but I don't really remember. They don't exist.
1: Well, (laughs) I saw, I saw, I've seen every Terminator film and I think what happened was, is just, it's a similar thing to what's happening with the, with the you know, with the Star Wars line of films, the recent Star Wars f- films, and in some ways the Star Trek films too, is that when you bring in different people and they immediately decide we're going to ignore what has been canon and tell our own story and, and completely map mush things up, That only leads to chaos. It's better when you bring in people who understand the canon, appreciate the canon, work within the canon, and are willing to find the wiggle room within the the canon. They're not trying to dismantle the entire story and reinvent the wheel. They're saying, we already have this great story take place. Let's add to it. Let's add new wrinkles and new sprinkles to it, but let's not change what it was. So no, I'm with, I'm with you on that. This is very much a sequel to the second film. But I like the feeling that it gives me going back to the first film. Because to me, the first Terminator was still the best Terminator. It was, and I was hoping that future sequels would have built off that. The second film did. And it did it very well. The later films did not. And that's why you had kind of the confused situations you had. This film... I hope it's a home run. I hope people go see it. I'm definitely going to go see it. Well,
0: Carly, come with me if you want to live. (laughs) (laughs) How about you and I uh, go see the movie and we'll review it next week on The Transporter Room.
1: You know what? That's a date. I think we can do that.
0: All right. So we'll be back next week (laughs) with another episode of The Transporter Room. We'll be joined by Chloe Anderson, who is an OUT transgender athlete? And we are excited that you're part of this. Find out more about all of our podcasts on outsports.com. I'm John Ennis.
1: And I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, hasta la vista,
0: baby. Scotty, team us up.